Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. Uh, this time we're bringing us uh, bringing you another Goblin Games episode, so we're going to try to be a little more to the point with a minimum of tangents. And I, I say minimum because we can't do not tangents. That's I was going to say, I mean, minimum for us. Yeah, minimum for us. Yeah. Um, so our general topic, we want to talk about card names. Um, kind of how they're used to develop storylines, do world building, and how they're actually a, a limited resource that uh, Wizards of the Coast has to manage. But first, we need to do introductions. So I'll go ahead and introduce myself. Uh, I'm Alex Newman, found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. And uh, for our opening question, I think we want to talk about a card that doesn't necessarily fit some of the things we're doing later, but really evokes flavor. And I'm going to go back to Alpha. And I want to talk about Raging River. And people who were playing back then, I hear the groan. I appreciate it. Uh, this card is goofy. The basic premise is it's an enchantment, and I honestly can't remember if it's every combat or just yours. You have to split all your creatures. If you, you and whoever's defending when you attack them, they have, you have to split all of your ground creatures in half in two different groups for the one side of the bank and the other side of the bank. And there's some really weird rules, and there's a bunch of stuff that I'm sure give judges nightmares to this day. Especially those of you who like to play Commander, where this card will still show up on, from time to time. But I love it because not only is it a ridiculous card that I always had fun with in big multiplayer games, but just the it was really evocative of a raging river. It's this massive river that cuts your army in half. Like People cannot cross this, but only your ground creatures. Anything that flies not affected it can fly over the banks just fine so i think that's a fun and and as we'll get into later like alpha is full of these really evocative names and some of them are just wonderful cards that are perfect that we still like wizard still prints to this day and some of them are kind of wasted on weird cards that don't do much or are complicated and they just can never use that card name again is what we're, we're kind of gonna get into that part a little bit later yes so well um hi everyone i am hobbs q i can be found on twitter at hobbs q my pronouns are he him so i wanted to bring up a card that also to me once i saw what this card did the flavor of the name made just perfect sense or just the the feel of the name and that is the card upheaval so Upheaval, which most people may know for as a cube staple, is a blue card that literally returns all permanents to everybody's hands. And why I like that with this idea of upheaval is it's not a one-sided effect like Cyclonic Rift. This isn't something, this is a card that has to really, really be built around, but it kind of evokes what an upheaval is. It's just complete and utter just everything in chaos, everything kind of restarting, everything being damaged. So everything that is on the table is returned to your hand. And I just love that idea. And the artwork just to me has always gone well with it. But the name alone, Upheaval, just is like, pick everything up, literally. That is perfect. Yeah, that's that's a great one. All right. Let's yeah, so let's get into this. Let's talk about card names. So I mean it is the it is one of the elements when you first look at magic cards, right? You kind of get the idea, you have a text box, you've got maybe some stats, you've got type lines, but you have this name and it, it is it is one of the first things that you're going to see that is going to give you details about the cards. 
And because of that, it can be used in so many different ways. It is, it is in some ways a design space. Yes, but it's also very much a creative space for, for the creative department to build the world. And, and that's where, at least for, for me, being both Vorthos and Amel, like I'm really interested in this cross-section between yeah. the flavor and the story of the game and the mechanics and the rules and how there are places where they kind of work together. And then there's places where they're separate, and I'm, I'm interested in those as well. But these cross-sections are really, really interesting to me. Um, so do we want to talk about the limited resource aspect of it first or go into some just card names from a story standpoint? I kind of want to jump into the story standpoint because that for early magic was the story. I mean, yeah. Raging River, you gave an idea like it, th that evoked kind of imagery. Um, but we actually yeah. are introduced even to characters indirectly. So one that stands out to me being that we are a goblin podcast is Mons Goblin Raider. Yes. So Mons Goblin Raiders is a card that was, I mean, unless my mind is going, yep, yep okay, I'm not losing my mind. So <laughs> it had flavor text. So we, and that was the other way that story was kind of told. But it is this idea that it's an intricate dynamics of is, is this whole flavor text about goblin affairs. What is very interesting, though, is the card name itself is Mons Goblins Raiders, and the Mons is possessive. So we knew that there was a goblin named Mons from this card from the very beginning. Fun fact, yep. he just was printed as a card in the last year. Yes. But yeah, that and, was kind of what did Alpha this. did. Yep. Uh, revise or, or Alpha, I suppose. I, I started in Revise, so I think of it as, as the same set, though it did have some stuff from other places in it, too. But Alpha had a lot of those for the most part the flavor was individual or you had a pair of things with archetypical stuff mm -hmm. your your black knight and white knight you know and just fantasy stories we all have this idea of what a white knight and a black knight are and of course they have they're the mirror images of each other they have the same abilities except one's pro, you know pro black and the other's pro white and a protection from from black and white mm -hmm. and but it's very evocative of the flavor of these things and there's a lot of stuff like that in Alpha, but you get into the expansions and Arabian Nights has its own oddities that Joe and I talked about well over a year ago, talking about how some of the issues there and how some of the problematic elements and some of the cool elements of that set. I mean, because, they were attempting to make kind of an expansion and it's yeah. time and magic uh, card names, uh, flavor text had real world yeah. or, or, or earth settings. You know, we had Shakespeare yes. show up in flavor text or we had... Yep kind of like Einstein and artwork. Um, yes. And then Arabian Nights was basically literally was, Arabian Nights. Yeah, literally based on real right. world, you know, stories and things. And and so that that has some problematic elements. But and also like at that time, they didn't they for a for a while they were planning to have the sets of magic play differently. Like be different games, have different backs. So be basically the same rule set, but you they weren't compatible together. So then card names were a little less of an important resource, but we can know how that works later or, and why. Um, but antiquities, I think is a, is a good place to look. That's the second expansion. And you, you talk about telling story in the titles. There are, I don't know how many, but I'm going to guess at least a half dozen different people named in card names in antiquities. You have Urza, you have Thanos, you have Mishra, 
And like, these aren't people we've ever seen before. They're not in the instruction booklet. There's no stories telling us who Ashnod is, but we know Ashnod has an altar. We know it makes mana. It's sac- you know, creatures die and ma- this thing gets mana. We know that there's a Yagmoth that, that is, mm-hmm. that there's priests dedicated to him. So we know something about him, even yeah. though he doesn't there's, have a card. Yeah. And there's point. places, mm-hmm. you know, we have the Colossus of Sardea. Um, I saw a different one here, Argothian tree folk. So we learn about places in the world mm-hmm. we've never heard of before. And so it starts to build this, this story. Um, Years later, like, and we see this now. I think things are a little more precise because they have actual storylines. But you, you have cards named after, you know, the planeswalkers. You, Jaya's impulse and things to kind of not just give us a spell, but tie it to this character that we know. Um, two that I, I called out in in recent years that I thought were just really cool names were Broken Bond in Dominaria was was telling the story of of Nissa leaving the Oathwalk. Uh, the the gatewatch she made a pack you know made an oath to to work with them by the time she gets to dominaria there's all the stuff and we talked about this in our burnout episode she said nope i'm leaving and then we get this card that tells that story um and and the other one that i think is just the coolest name i've ever heard for a game for a, co- a game one of the greatest phrases i've heard in my entire life is fraying omnipotence um, which was in the, the the corset, kind of talking about Bolas and showing showed a little bit of his plan of what he was doing on Amonkhet after we got the Amonkhet set. So there were there was a sort of cycle of three cards and Bolas's three colors, kind of showing him going to Amonkhet and setting up his plans. And this first one was him losing his godlike powers as the the mending took that away. And so you have this fraying omnipotence. He's got pieces of this power and he's rapidly trying to build something with it and i could go on forever about how just cool those like just the word fraying is such a flavorful word well and, and you know the, 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 the somehow omnipotence the ability to know everything can can be frayed yeah and taken away i mean it yes. evokes that yeah just from the name in the card and it's not just being taken away it's like being shredded and pulled apart in pieces it's not just gone. It's fraying. It's tearing like a cloth as we rip it. So I think that one of the things that we've seen is with magic now having a clearer story and story guideline, names have become in some ways a lot more specific. You know, <laughs> we're still going to get names that can be in any world, but because we're referring a lot of times to stories or characters, in the past, you know, that's when you mention antiquities, there is a lot of us being introduced to things when there wasn't necessarily full story to go along with it. And that mm-hmm. is how we're learning. Alpha, uh, alpha, beta, unlimited, revised, those ones. A lot of that was kind of, there was a, there was some of the element in there. It was hinted at. A lot of it was really just like you said, plays on fantasy. Mm-hmm. Hypnotic specter. Okay, we know what a specter is. It's hypnotic. Okay. A lot of that was just kind of, it felt disjointed, but it had its roots in fantasy. Antiquities mm-hmm. comes along, and now we're seeing just references to people, places, and things, mm-hmm. proper names. Yeah, and, and story. And it's it's sorry, just sorry. almost and like, like taken for granted. Yes, yeah, it's just a part of, it's been a part of magic for so long, but you look back to these first few sets, and it's really interesting to kind of see how they were starting to integrate this and how they were starting to work through 
the necessity of doing it. Because at first, if you just you just do these random story pieces to just feel good, you know, not to feel good, but to add de- depth to the game. But then it's like, oh, we could build engagement by mm-hmm. going deeper with this story, having an actual full fleshed out story as opposed to just little kernels. So which says something when you're talking about design then in world building mm-hmm. or more story based things, we now kind of have an issue or, or there now is this thing that certain names can only be used in certain places or we, we're only going to get things that make sense. Like names are not universal. They're not going to be that I can have something like the Phyrexians just mentioned in any set. I can't have a yes. Phyrexian something. Yes. And you get into, um, if you're trying to make new cards and you, you can't just throw Phyrexian in the name of this card, be like, I need a new draw spell that does the mechanical, you know, of the new set. So I can't just reprint divination. It needs to be a new card. Mm-hmm. You you have to come up with a new name. And, and so you can't, if you throw Phyrexian in there, if your best card for this thing is Phyrexian arena as a, as a black enchantment, that's a good draw spell you can't put that in every set because most sets don't have Phyrexians. Right. So and you have to do the whole idea of a, you, we, the idea in some ways, this is where I'm guessing functional reprints came in yeah. literally cards yeah. that do the same thing with different names. Yep. Yeah. Or I guess I kind of jumped on topics a little bit. Cause sometimes you'll go to, I need this draw spell. I need a draw spell that has proliferate on it, or I need a draw spell that has whatever the new okay. mechanic is, yeah. which is you have to make a new thing out of whole cloth. Not need a new card because it's a brand new mechanic. Yeah, but then you also get to the reprint thing too, where it's like if you're trying to bring in this really perfect card that fits this thing, but it's got a name that's very setting specific, it makes it hard to reprint that. But on the other hand, sometimes having those very setting specific things, which Wizards is still doing, it helps them to make more cards. <laughs> Because then they have better names, more names they can use. But also, it helps to tell the story in an environmental way as opposed to just through the through the fiction. And and I like to talk about Kaladesh a lot because it was our first set with vehicles. And mm-hmm. there are so many cards that reference vehicles in the name, like start your engines. I mean, like they needed new cards to do things with vehicles. And so they couldn't just reprint. Because vehicles as a type didn't exist. So unless they wanted something that was just a blanket, it affects artifacts, they needed a new card. And start your engines is just so perfect because where else can they put that? Well, I mean, what's funny about that is, okay, we get the vehicles brought in as this new kind of thematic card type. You mean, we hadn't had a card Mm -hmm. type in some ways like this in, in quite a while. I was thinking back to the idea of equipment, which really opened up naming because now you can have yeah. sort of X and X because that makes more sense as an artifact yeah. that can now be wielded versus the idea that it used to be Aura enchantments and how to make those better. Oh, and, well, and some of those artifacts where they tried to do that, speaking yeah. of antiquities, go look up Ashnod's Battle Gear. That card works so awkwardly because they were trying to do equipment before they came up with the equipment technology. Right. And so like, so when they did, you could now have sort of X and X or sort of whatever you can make a weapon in it. Vehicles come along and we get that. And I had to laugh when I saw your notes because I straight up, if you had told me five years ago that start your engines would be (laughs) a magic card name in a black bordered set, 
Yeah, you just said you know, I would not have believed. So Magic it. finally is doing sci-fi, right? Right, or they're going to allow us to have jokes? I mean, I'm yeah. really just yeah. 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 Or revoke privileges. Oh, I love that so much. They like they you can't them. drive anymore. Yeah, like, you no, we're taking your away your license. Yeah, it's so good. Or or even more like where you're you're a teen who has you know driving privileges. Your your driving privileges have been revoked. Yeah, like um, teenage Chandra learning to drive one of the vehicles on the planet. Oh, or the plane. Her yeah. parents being like, sorry, Chandra. Yep. You get to revoke your privileges. It's not even how she actually sparked. They just don't want to let it tell us that. <laughs> it was just not interesting. No. They're like, well, we got to come up with a better story. Yeah. Suppose if she so, just need, she sparked so she could get to, you know, the mall or wherever kids <laughs> hang out. The mall quicker. <laughs> um, so another set that had a lot of this was Battle Bond. I mean, we basically have an arena set. Um, so when we, uh, you know, um, wow, I'm just working on holding multiple timelines in my head right now, as we've talked about before, because yeah, uh, this is a world that I talked a lot about with Hunter Pence. And at this point, I don't know if that episode is okay. going to have come out or not, just depending on when we are able to get it going. But yeah, we talked was, about Battle Bond. It was also and, talked about in passing with a different guest of ours that... Yes. May not so, come up for this episode. Yeah. So, in, in why it comes to mind here, though, is because Battle Bond allowed a sports world and it allowed mm -hmm. this new mechanics of like how to play multiplayer differently. But the names allowed for us to have things that had to be specific. It, I mean, they weren't things that, once again, we could drop into any world. They got to have fun with yep. the names in some ways. Oh, yeah. And and we get to show, and this is a thing they talk about, I think the topic comes up the most when you talk about red being an emotional color, and most of the time, because it's combat, you only get to show, like, anger and fighting emotion. But even all five colors, you tend to only see the things that deal with fighting. Or mm -hmm. maybe in white, protecting you from the fighting if someone brings the fight to you. But Battle Bond, we got to see a world where the fighting was entertainment. So we also got to do other things beyond just everyone's in a battle for their lives. You got to have fun things like generous patron. And, and I think there's, you know, especially as of late, there's a little bit of room for that in some, most sets, but battle bond, it was everywhere. <laughs> Last one standing, which yeah. just is the card itself is amazing to me. I love the card. Yes. Yes, there's a little bias because there's just this <laughs> goblin standing on top of a the, the like the, all of the other fallen opponents that mm -hmm. just say some train for all their lives for a shot at the title. Some just get really, really lucky. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I, I believe that goblin is in other art, like kind of coming into yes. the arena. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't there's belong a, there. Oh, I can't remember which card, but yeah, there's definitely a card where it's it's that goblin and someone else going out to fight. But, but yeah, um, bonus round, you know, like it, 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 it harkens back to this idea of game shows or yeah. you know, things that we can't really. You're not going to be able to be like, oh, we're on Mirrodin and we have a bonus round. Yeah. Or one of why I love this and I actually I didn't even realize. So I just stadium vendors is a card from from Battlebond yeah. mm -hmm. that is wonderful. But just out of curiosity, I, I did a, a, a word search for vendor. In the entirety of Magic, there are only two cards that have vendor in their name. Do you want to okay. guess where the other one is from? What world? I mean, I, I would have guessed an unset. So No, 
It is not an unset. It is a black bordered set that we have talked about tonight. Kaladesh. Yep. Curio Curio vendor on Kaladesh because part of the story in Kaladesh was the, um, the fair, like something definitely evocative of the world's fair in, in, in the real world. And I, I think that, and you know, I don't know if this is specific to that fair or if it's part of the world in general, but Kaladesh also had some space for this sort of, we're not just dealing with conflict and fighting and, and things. So there's some fair things going on and yeah. That's so when you when you talk about using card names, Alex, for world building, mm-hmm. what, how do you feel that, that this like how is this done? I mean, what what do you think this design space allows for? Well, it it kind of it does a couple of things. Like it allows them to basically create more cards in general, um, but it, it also allow helps them to tell the story. Um, we've there's a lot out there talking about how the magic story has gone lately. And for a good stretch of time, I think it was getting better and they were doing a really good job as of late, not so much, but hopefully they get back to it. Um, but this is just one more place where um, actually I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine tonight about environmental world building. Mm-hmm. And in both, I mean, it's a thing that exists in the real world. It exists, you know, when you just, we happen to be driving through, we were stopping at a grocery store and there's just a shoe in the middle of a parking spot as we were driving by and it's like, well, something happened. So we don't know what, all we know is there's this shoe here, but there's a story there and, right. and card names are used a lot like that. For the most part, there's a handful of card names that will probably tie into specific story events that we see elsewhere. Broken bond is like that, but there's a lot of little story things that we'll get. I pick a random card here. Cause I opened up Eldraine cause it's another set that has a lot of this. You have, your uh, happily ever after that's a story bit or, or or giant killer those are telling you story but especially like giant killer i think that's evocative of, of a real world myth but they don't have to give you anything else they give you just this little kernel and it gives you a a little piece of what that world is like i mean drain you- makes me really think of this because there are enough in there that I, i'm thinking of if, if, you know if I don't know a set. Let's say I haven't had a chance to really be involved with learning what a set is about. And you mm-hmm. gave me a series of card names from Eldraine. Mm-hmm. I would probably be able to tell you, okay, this is a magic take on a fairy tale set. The names yeah. are that evocative and play oh. on specific tropes and things from mm-hmm. that, that I can identify that that's clearly going to be, that's what that set is. Mm-hmm. And and it tells you kind of what what's happening in this world. I mean, I just want a card literally called "Into the Story," that's and it's funny. a picture of a library in the background. But there's this book that's open in the foreground, and a character's walking into it. And so it's just this super evocative that there's these stories and things happening in the world. Um, so one thing that I think is c- kind of um. And like I said, I'm going to reference it because I, I do think that it's going to be out by this point based on recording time. But one of the things that I talked about with um, Hunter Pence was it, it was a really cool episode. And I'm really hoping at this point that you all have heard it because we talked about how he engages with magic lore um, because he does not. He didn't know, know about the Vorthos community or what a Melvin was or even any of these terms like a psychographic he knew what he knew from the story or he made guesses at 
elements of the story, even when we were having a conversation and we were talking about it based mainly on card names Mm -hmm. or on card mechanics. So he was trying to engage with the storyline of magic. Okay. Yeah. There's this going on, on Ravnica. And then there's all these planeswalkers there and they have these, you know, he's talking about, okay, well, their names tell me this about them. So he was picking up elements of the story just by that he he did not engage with it even through necessarily flavor text actually names of the cards were mainly how he was learning about our characters about the planeswalkers about different things that are going on in these worlds mm-hmm. and i yeah, think that and, this and that's is why, where we're talking about this yeah and it's that's why it's such a valuable part of the card it's important it tells the story. It's engaging. Um, you know, if, if we're tra- trying to have a conversation about some cool thing that happened in the game, and I said, well, I played draw spell number three, that doesn't pull you into the story. But if I can talk about, well, I div- I cast divination and I drew into this thing that I needed, and then I did this, and then it it builds more engagement with the game, and it gives us more to latch on to as players. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, we get our lore part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm interested in kind of thinking of names as even more of a mechanical use or, you know, at the beginning of the the show, I kind of talked about upheaval to me. It, it kind of, it, it kind of tells me what the card does in some ways. I have an idea at least at what it does versus if I just see broken bond and tried to guess at what that card did, I would probably not be very good at it, even as a magic player. Yeah. So in some ways, Magic card names are very important, and we. But I think you've said this numerous times. Mm-hmm. They are a finite resource. Yes, and, um, and because of how long this game has been going, and where they probably didn't expect it to end up, we have lost out on pretty good card names. Yes, especially a lot of the simple single word names. Um, but let, I'm going to explain kind of why it's a finite resource. So I think. Okay. These things are things that players understand, but maybe they don't put these together. And this is a, a thing I, I picked up listening to Mark Rosewater's uh, Drive to Work podcast. Yeah, so the card names are, are a limited resource because when they, they print a card, it's just the way that the collected rules. Magic is very, very dense in the rules. And when you sit down to play a game, we don't need to know most of the collected rules of the game. But there is some very complicated things making it work under the, the hood, especially with older stuff. Um, but part of that is whenever you have a card say fling that has this one name every time you print that fling has to be the same card has to do the same thing because it is considered by the rules the same card that's why you can have things that you pick a card name and that card can't be played anymore so they can't print a new card called fling that does something different they can make a new card that called called gigantic fling or something that maybe is different but that's where now once they use that it's gone um, and that's especially the case with silver border things because there's tournament rules about how silver border things get used. And I'll talk about that specifically when we get to that because there was a card they tried to reprint and there were some weird complicated things. But so because these, once they use this card name and print it, it's gone unless they want to reprint that card, but they can't make a brand new card with that name. There are some cards early in the early days that aren't great cards that use these names. I want to talk about Teleport from Legends. This is a card. It's an instant three blue. Target creature becomes unblockable until end of turn. Cast only after attack is declared and before defense is chosen. It's a 
kind of an awkward card. It's not that great. It doesn't do things, but it pulled that word teleport, which is a wonderful, perfect single word, not complicated. It's a, it's a thing that everyone understands from magic to fantasy to science fiction. Teleporting is a concept that we get in fiction and magic burned that word on a card. That's kind of ho-hum. Yeah. I mean, it kind of gets rid of the, the, the ability that we had on there. And then um, recall is another mm -hmm. single one that you would, you know, that got used up in the word legends, right? Yep. So recall is a, card that um it was the original legend set and it basically discard x cards blue and double x <laughs> cost alone right there discard x cards would then return a card from your graveyard to your hand for each card discarded this way exile recall recall yeah. seems like yes okay it's obviously wanting to bring something back i feel like there could have been a lot better uses for this and that <laughs> card name has been used up used up yeah yeah and, and this actually, um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, as I say, and and one that I think is a is a wonderful use of this and has worked out really well, also from Alpha, is the card Shatter. Yeah, I, I actually love Shatter. Shatter is one of my favorite names for the simplicity of what the card does. Mm -hmm. It's so simple. If you hear the name, you have a really good idea of what it does, especially if you know the mechanics of magic. Destroy an artifact. That artifact is shattered. It's it's gone and and because it's it's so perfect for that shatter's been reprinted a lot um and i mean to the point well the most recent was was it rivals of ixalan it's it, they keep bringing it back because it, it perfectly fits this and then they can use other things like i'm looking at this rivals of ixalan you know in the the alpha one they're showing an artifact shattering rivals of ixalan they're showing a pirate ship shattering still an artifact because it's a vehicle but it's perfect for that world so they can take this sort of general name that's a perfect evo evocation of what you're doing with the spell and make it fit the world with a little bit of flavor text and some art that fits that world what type of artifact would you be breaking in this world so i think one thing that you mentioned that was kind of interesting there was actually a really cool thread that um this is from at brian demars one it was earlier in january about this cool idea of kind of trying to come up with what are cool split card names either aftermath or the the typical split card names which we've learned that have a naming convention like he started with like twist and shout right you know so the idea that it has an and and um the aftermath cards could use the word two between them but they're connected in some way and friend of the cast at orcish librarian brought up a, a point that was you know he said, "How we're here? Here we're getting to a tricky rules question on whether a pre-existing card could be reprinted as half of a split card, because mm -hmm. he would love to see fear slash loathing as an idea. Yeah. But fear is a card that already exists in Magic, and the question becomes: Could it be printed on half of a split card? Because that's the whole point. That once a name's been used, it's been used. He's not yeah. even getting into this idea that I want a different card. Just." Could that card even exist now on something else? Yeah. And like yeah. That. I'm sure well, somebody I, does, but I'm not that person. Right. Well, I mean, I, I don't think you could because of the reason that you've yeah. talked how split cards function. There are rules that relate to casting either half of them and then you'd have the. So I don't think it does, but I think it does show that, you know, once a card name's been used, that name has been used mm -hmm. you mentioned this yeah. a little bit with silver bordered and i kind of want to jump into 
because I, if, if you don't mind, I want to bring us stay on split cards for just a moment longer. Okay, cool. Um, I wish I had thought of this before the cast, but if you probably use some Google foo, you can figure this out. There was when the, the most recent Ravnica sets, um, goodness, what were they called before war of the spark? The two before that, um, they did split cards for yes. all, all the guilds. And so there were 10 new split cards to do. And there was a big, there was a lot of difficulty coming up with how they were going to name them because of those difficulties with naming split cards. There has to be these conventions. The names need to match. They need to be different than other cards. They get, these names get used up. And mm -hmm. um, one of the designers, I don't think it was Mark Rosewater. I think it was someone else who works in Magic R&D wrote this article that was really interesting talking about how they did this. Because one of the things you notice about those I don't think they've ever done this with split cards before, but those 10 in those, these two Ravnica sets, the two card names on either side share the first three or four letters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which makes it even more difficult for them to find names to line up to put these things together. And so if this is something that is interesting to you, try to find that article and maybe I'll, I'll try to find it. We'll throw it in, in their show notes or something. Yeah. We'll figure out how to do that. I think that would be awesome yeah. because it, the split cards do bring up that interesting, once again, split cards and, and aftermath cards are a whole other thing that, that yeah. where names become important because they yes. have these elements to them and they have to work as a, as a phrase separate mm -hmm. from the individual cards, but the individual cards are names. Yep. So um, now when to just take this idea of the, uh, the actual take the, this idea of how it's a finite resource to its extreme. You mentioned a little bit briefly about silver border. So the unsets. Yes. One of the things that becomes important um, is that with unsets, those names cannot be used again ever. So we run into this issue. In silver border. <laughs> well, it was less reprinted it in silver border, but I mean, if they wanted a card name now to come into black bordered, they couldn't use a name that they had used up in a silver bordered set. Now, silver bordered has a lot of names that are really hilarious, um, a mm -hmm. lot of puns. Um, I mean, and we can talk about the fact that that is a naming convention. My yes, uh, and circadian night or circadian, <laughs> circadian, yeah, circadian, the new one, circadian night, yeah, yeah. that is a uh, an owl that yep. affects that has abilities based on whether it's daytime or nighttime. I mean, yep. you get a lot of fun ways to play with names. And if for some reason you have a name that you want to use, you can't. Yes. And that's part of it. Like Mark Rosewater will talk a lot, like the mechanics that they put in silver border sets can't, at least today, like they can't print a lot of the things that go in silver border, are the things that can't go in black border. And sometimes silver border can be used as a testing ground and they put things in a silver border and years later, put it into black border. And that's one of the reasons he was able to get silver border to come back. Cause we had a huge gap between unhinged and on. Oh goodness. Unstable. Unstable. Thank you. I'm yeah. blanking out a bunch of stuff tonight. There's a huge gap between uh, those two sets because there were some internal things and people didn't quite get it. And the first two sets didn't sell super well, and which is it makes it tough to sell. But as a testing ground, it works out really well. Um, but it, it means that, but it's not just card mechanics, but it's card names. 
Because one of the things too, like you using up the names, like in Black Border, they can't make a new card that has that same name, but they can't actually print a silver bordered card in Black Border. Because you, because, yeah, because, because then you, it would somehow make the silver bordered version legal. Because mm-hmm, that's two important rules for tournament legality. If the if it is silver bordered, it cannot be played in tournaments. If it has been, um, every, and then the second is basically every version of the card is the same. So. If you have a revised giant growth, it's the same as, I don't know if it was an Ixalan, but it would be the same as an Ixalan giant growth, as far as the rules are concerned. So that means if you print cheese stands alone, a silver bordered card, which has a goofy silver bordered name, but if you print that into an actual black bordered set, now you have to make that silver, that silver bordered card can be played too, according to the second rule, but it can't be played according to the first rule and it creates a a conundrum that they don't want to have to untangle. Well, so instead, I like the example that you gave there. Because, <laughs> Why do you think that's a good example, Alex? Yes, because what they did is the the card she stands alone um, is I want to I want to get the actual text of this. It is it is a card that they actually decided they could print. When you control no permanence other than the chi stands alone and have no cards in your hand, you win the game. Yes. So this is a card that they wanted, they could print that in Black Border, and they did. They printed a functional reprint called Baron Glory that was in uh, Future Sight that does that exact same thing because they had to <laughs> in order to put it into the, uh, the, the Black Border world. Yeah. Um, there is one slight difference, and this oh, also gets yes. into the oddity that is uh, Silver Border. It does not have the clause at the beginning of your upkeep. You're right. I'm so at some point, now. if you could do it in the middle of a turn, you can just win the game outright. With, with kind of stands alone. Yeah. So so Baron Glory is is actually a... She stands alone is a strictly better, except for the fact that it's silver border. Except for the fact that it's silver bordered. Anything sanctioned. So before we kind of hit, hit on our just last point, um, or our last kind of fun thing, I think, um, this idea of reprints and how names function and how wizards uses names actually became important when so core sets used to be where we got reprints and what was happening was this led to weird flavor stuff at that point core sets were just core sets um they they didn't take place on a specific plane they weren't supposed to have kind of story with them wizards kind of wanted to move away from that however they had been using that for years as places to print just any card that they wanted to have a reprint. So there would be more copies of it, for instance. And you were running into the fact of, well, if we wanted to have flavor, we can't have a card from Kamigawa like Council of the Soratami, which had then been printed in 9th edition and 10th edition. You couldn't have that. And there was actually a period where a lot of cards that were being used and that, that Wizard wanted to make kind of more of the game that they could be used across worlds. They wanted to kind of open this up and not necessarily just keep, they they went through a a really big naming change where a bunch of old cards or or cards that were specific to worlds got generic names so that they could start printing them more often. Mm -hmm. So like council became divination. Yep. And and as opposed to council, the Soratami, I think those two are, they're very similar, if not exactly the same mechanically. Are. Mm-hmm. 
they're actually they, they, that was the one that really stuck out to me that I remember because it was in the switch from 10th to M10. And that was where there was this kind of change in the core sets. But it did lead to this idea that, you know, we have a lot of cards that some of them that are functional reprints. So you could have multiple copies of it for EDH or Commander was partly just a need to use that resource of yeah, naming. That makes, sense. makes sense. There's one last cool area that Wizards has done with names. Yes. And there's a specific part of this I want to talk about, but I want you to introduce this idea the, or this, this, uh, this, this whole fun, idea. The, the, this is fun to me. This is the funnest the, part of this. Yeah. Okay. So that the, the set names. Um, and, you know, there's a, multiple sets, three, four, five, ten sets coming out every year. <laughs> and, and there's a few that are easy, the core sets, <laughs> your commander yeah. sets. Well, and I realize it actually kind of is because every yep. new little thing they come out with, they're like Spellbook Jace. That's a set. It is a set. Yeah. So, yeah. And and so some of those will, you have your, your from the vault specific thing. You know, all the, the, especially the ancillary ones have a naming convention that's fairly easy for them to just keep building it. Dual decks X and Y, they're not going to run out of X's and Y's. Really? Um, I mean, they don't like to do that, that product line, but that's a, that's a naming convention that can kind of just run. But when you're looking at your mainline booster pack sets, more and more, you notice as of late, they put the world mm -hmm. in the name mm -hmm. because it creates more unique names. Um, we can go back and there's a lot of like one or two word names that have kind of gotten used up and now they can't use those anymore. And also you get this weird phenomenon that I think is what, what you really want to talk about. Where you have a card that has the same name as a set. Yes. So this is something that has been kind of done across magic history where we have cards that were a, a name of a card that later on became the name of a set or i think that's only gone that direction i don't remember if we've gone vice versa now uh yeah i want to say that we've gone in both directions Sorry, I I'm gonna let you fact check that while I'm looking at this list because the, yeah. the the first one is what is interesting was to see. So we had a set, and and this may have come about even accidentally, which is why some of these are kind of interesting. Some of these are words that were single words, so they mm -hmm. made kind of sense. Uh, the 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 three that really do is apocalypse, onslaught, and visions. Right, those were fantasy terms that could easily be a card name, and were also worlds or specific yes, sets set now yes we had this really cool double this this the first time they really played with the block structure they basically did two blocks that were related each with two sets and it was basically flip sides of a world um which was we had eventide and what was it lorwyn and shadowmoor and then yeah eventide was, and morning tide right yes yes so they, they, these worlds were related, and then we had these two blocks, and they had Evening Tide, and lo and behold, what would be the flip side of that? Morning Tide. However, interestingly enough, Morning Tide had already been a card name. Yes. Way back in Torment, Morning Tide was a card name. So while it made complete sense as the flip side of this Eventide world, we, they actually had to use a card name set, a card name that has nothing to do with it. Morning Tide is a white and a one from Torment, that removes all cards in all graveyards from the game. Yeah. And um, all four of these examples, the card predates the set. Okay. 
So, and I know the next three do too. We did have one switch where Conflux was a card in Conflux. Yes, that's right. So that one. It, it was one of these where it was a, a story card and it also was the exact name of the set. Yes, um, and it was a name of a thing that was happening in the world. Yes. So that's why they made a card out of it. Which was kind of cool because that kind of talks about that world building. But that was the, the last time that I could think of that we had like something that was a an event that was the exact name. Yeah. Now, the one I wanted to talk about was Time Spiral Block. So <laughs> Time Spiral Block for people who may not have been playing at the time was really a first attempt at kind of what we did with, I mean, Dominaria and Master you know, sets. master sets were just, it was meant to kind of play on nostalgia. It was meant to kind of bring back ideas and mechanics. And it was a hot mess. Um, yes. In a lot of ways. I actually, I mean, it was very enjoyable and it's really cool to kind of look at it. And we drafted what was, did we draft a box of? Yes, we did. Like, was that Planar Chaos or did we do Time Spiral? No, that was Time Spiral. That was time, time spiral. How many mechanics did we determine were in that set? I am looking it up now. Time spiral has a lot of mechanics. So this whole block, all three sets in this related to cards. Now, oh this actually is very intentional, I believe, in this way, compared to some of the other ones where we've seen just, you know, Morning Tide had to be the need for that. Apocalypse was a card name and okay they wanted to make an apocalyptic event what are you going to call it these cards so time spiral is originally a card that let you basically shuffle things back into your library um everybody draw a new hand it was kind of a wheel effect that had a clause in it that is really good that if you get to untap up to six lands would you do it the first this this block was interesting because it looked at magic's past it looks at magic's alternate reality and it looked at magic's future. So time spiral was the one that looked backwards at the past. It spiraled in some ways. It shuffled things back in. It brought things back from magic's history. It's time from the past. Okay. Mm -hmm. The next set planar chaos specifically took mechanics and looked at how they could be done in other parts of the color pie. This is actually where we got like this black mass creature destruction in a way that was, we had the flip side of Wrath of God with Damnation. And these cards actually were colored differently in their borders to show that it was a black flip or a different, like it was like the planes were in chaos and the color pie had basically been shifted and colors were being used in different ways than they were used to. So the planes were literally in chaos. Planar Chaos was a great name for it. Future Sight. I mean, this is the one that was probably the weirdest to people who were playing because there are cards in the set that have different frames and they were cards yes. that could be printed and well, may be printed in the future. The the um, the time shifted sheets for all three yes. sets. So you, you had time future site had some just general mechanics from the future where they like keyworded some things that had never been keyworded before, like reach shroud death touch first keyword it there um i also I, I love this as just a line from the wiki about future site contains more keyword mechanics than any other magic gathering the set ever printed as of 2007 which will be the same forever they will never put this many mechanics because 
unlike most sets where there's like, well, we'll have like three mechanics and maybe a few returnings, you know, like your Ravnica's where you have five, one for each guild and maybe one or two smaller ones trying to save some space so people can understand what's happening. Future Sight had like 20-something brand new mechanics that were on like three cards, one to three cards each. Yeah, try drafting that. Oh yeah, and and then you had with these sets. <laughs> oh, it's 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 a mess, and and so you had you know time spiral had the 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 time spiral or the the time shifted sheet, which were the cards with the old frames. Um, your the purple um, rarity symbol. Yep. So if I ever um, see those with the purple rarity, that really means this is where it also gets fun to realize that this set is modern legal. Yes, because people forget that there are so many nickel bolus the original card of nickel bolus with its upkeep cops of grixis mana is technically modern legal yep because of the time shifted sheet in time spiral and then planar chaos had you know your damnations where it was the color shifted card so it was an exact reprint of a card that existed put into a different color Mm -hmm. with the with color relevant text changing so your your you had white knight and black knight and alpha in that set, they had Blood Knight. Mm-hmm. So they changed, you know, protection. Actually, no, that, that was just black shifted over. Um, I think there was another case where they changed the protection because it was a black card that had protection from green as opposed to green protection from black. Um, we got brute, brute Force, which was giant growth in red. Yep. So it, it was this idea that how these mechanics and, and elements could look in a different thing. Yep. And it and was literally the planes were supposed to be in chaos within the storyline. Yep. And Future Sight is the one that got the worst because the time shifted cards in future sight had this, this different frame and yeah. these mechanics were some of these were just weird mechanics. You had aura swap on a single card mm-hmm. that allows you to pay the aura swap cost to exchange it with a different aura that's in your hand. Uh, this sliver where, cycling. This is where delve came from. It was reprinted mm-hmm. in future sight. Um, uh, yeah, so some of these mechanics. Yeah, um, you had this was the first time they ever did full art cards that were not lands. So they had done full art lands in the unsets because it was a goofy thing, and so they're like, "We'll try it in black." You know, we'll try it in the silver bordered sets. So they were black bordered, so you could because of the whole thing about the black border silver border issue. Um, but this was the first time they did a cycle of vanilla creatures that were textless it was just mm-hmm. full art because I think there, the theory was this might work. I mean, and then they've gone a little further with that and you, you had your textless uh, yeah. cryptic I command, mean, which might've been too much, but, I mean, it was, but it's a thing that they the played with. Future site was an experimental set. And um, mm-hmm. some of that stuff has been reprinted. Some never has, um, but the card future site was the one that was chosen for the name, which was a card that allows you to play the top, Part of your library and it's revealed at all times and now but once again it was it, all of those are intentionally i believe chosen to represent that mm-hmm. part of the story and it was a very cool taking of a card name for a set name with more intentionality than i think we had seen in the past yes where it was um, more convenience or need yes and 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 the the one thing is that those sets as much as i love them it made it so hard to play even established players had a hard time with it and then yep. you, you put in a new player and good lord it's so bad it's also the first time we actually saw the word planeswalker listed as a card type that's right right before planeswalker actually was a card types. type yeah yeah 
And that is one of the reasons why I love that set. Cause I played magic from the very beginning. And so mm-hmm. time spiral had a lot of good references going back. Planar chaos was kind of like that too, with the alternate versions of these cards in different realities. And then future sight was just like, well, what are we doing? You know what? These are all cards from potential futures. And some of those have come to pass and some of them haven't. It's a really cool thing. I mean, kind of the, you know, we don't really have any take home advice for you today, other than to think about the idea of how (laughs) names are, can be used for design. I think that that is what it is. It's realizing that names are a resource. Yes. And I mean, if we want, this is an entire thing that we didn't explore at all. So we're, going to leave this with no conversation on exploration but in real life names are important things too Ooh, <laughs> i feel like we I actually mean, have done a from, whole episode on this well that's true but in in, in a lot of ways <laughs> in a few, you know in a few more subtle things and maybe not subtle but um um less personal specific things i, I talk about at work and this is a phrase i get from mark rosewater because he talks about game design a lot but one of the things he says is is it's hard to talk about something if you don't have a name. And, and I have kind of taken that phrase from him and I use this at work a lot. I talk about having a shared vocabulary mm-hmm. with my team. And so when we're talking about a process, we're talking about a system, um, it's really important to make sure we're all talking with the same language to each other. And within a team that you work with every day, it's not as, as you don't have to do it consciously. You kind of just do it. But when we go to talk to somebody who's upstream of us, who we're handing stuff off to, or someone who's, who's down or someone who's downstream, who we hand off to, or someone upstream who's sending stuff to us. And we're talking about these processes. You have to be careful about what you call things, because if you call stuff, your team's name internally for a thing, they may have no idea what you're talking about, especially when you work in a big company that has dozens and dozens and dozens of different computer systems. And so they may do something in their system that gets sent into our system. And when we're using our system's terminology, it may have nothing to do with it. It may not line up at all. And depend on kind of how similar or not your systems are can cause even more uh, uh, confusion if they use a name to mean something completely different. Yes, I get into this a lot in, in being in Treasury. And, and, and if, for those of you who work in, in, the, uh, in the industry, the, the word escheatment gets misused a lot <laughs> for various things. Um, ultimately, it means sending money to the state because, you know, if, say, I send out a, a che- I print a check today and we send it out and it never gets cashed, at some point we, we can't hang on to that money. It's not our money. But the person whose money it is never cashed the check we can't find them we have to send that money to the state and then the state government holds that money in trust for whomever it's owed to well there's a whole process with that and that term gets misused a lot so there's things where it's like okay we can't find these people we need to set this aside and there was a big deal a few years ago where we needed to work out okay let's come up with a new term for money that has not been sent but that we can't find the person so we are setting it aside and and waiting until we hear back or until we have to send it away and so we had to because people were using that same term escheatment to mean two or three different things and it was causing all sorts of issues names are important mm-hmm. thank you for joining us for this goblin games it ended up being a pretty decent length episode there yeah cool. i wasn't sure uh Hey, I think we have to talk about, but th- this is we got cool. talking, we figured out how to keep going. 
I mean, I think that's what we're good at. I actually think we did do minimum of tangents. <laughs> I'm, I mean, we, did, we? we only had to stop and Google things like three or four times. That's it. Really organized. <laughs> yeah. All this talk about names and we haven't blown up one thing. And that's our show for today. You can find the hosts on Twitter. HobbsQ can be found at HobbsQ, and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter, or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsluts, the cast can be found at Patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raffel. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at hipstersofthecoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.